Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Greg Fish, the world of weird things. Uh, Greg Fish joins us every week at this time. And thank you, Fish, for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Glad to have you here, buddy. Um, where are we going to go today in Greg Fish's we- a world of weird things? Because you're in America, and so there are all kinds of things um, we could talk about. In this month of November, it's Movember, and we've been talking about mental health a fair bit, trying to keep that conversation alive, uh, men in particular, but for everybody for sure. So where do you want to go, Greg? Oh, well, we have to go to some dark places tonight, aren't we? All right. So one of the, I mean, obviously the election is apparently still going on and, uh, it's kind of turned from the, from a typical political process, something that's more like passing the kidney stone at this point. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I really wanted to point out is a problem that I see popping up over and over again. And I think that we've kind of touched about it here and there when we talked about, Uh, how social media works and some of the things that are happening in the social media world that reflect negatively on society and on politics. But I think one of the things that we really haven't talked about is how some of these things that we're seeing on social media are now translating into what should be very serious mental health concerns that we don't really talk about very much. Are you talking about mental health concerns for, and I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek, um, for people who are saying them or the political actors in it, or are you talking about the impact of the mental health of the people that are exposed to it? I'm talking actually about all of the above. So wow. one of the things that I, I think really needs to be prefaced before we go any further is that in any society we are going to have disagreements about how governments are run, about how money is spent, about what projects that we undertake as societies. That's normal. That's healthy. We're all going to have different opinions. And in fact, that's the advantage of a democracy. A lot of voices are heard and we can come to better conclusions because there's more voices that are participating in the conversation. But there's a difference between having a political disagreement and basically losing all touch with reality. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that really manifested itself during the election in the United States, because you have one side saying, well, we really should invest into clean jobs and clean energy, and we should raise taxes. And the other side response wasn't, well, you know, I don't think the tax rate needs to be that high. And I think we need to have a smoother transition to green energy. The other side response was, no, see, what you're actually doing is you're trying to win elections so you can traffic children to pedophiles who will then eat them. Hmm. And I wish I was making this up, but this is literally Facebook posts all over Facebook in America are literally just filled with QAnon conspiracy theories, with things where people are looking through very innocuous speeches and texts and and little things in bills that talk about giving prosecutors more discretion about what they're going to do about certain crimes and, and pretending all of these are code for, 
you know, totalitarianism and communism and gulags and re-education camps and, and this stuff begins to sound less like, okay, well, just have a different political worldview. It starts to sound like symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia. Everybody's out to get me. Everybody's trying to undermine me. I can't trust anybody. Everybody's lying to me. There's a grand conspiracy to get everybody like me. And this, when it translates into politics, is terrifying. Because, you know, you look at how many people voted for Trump, and one of the things that anyone will, anyone who actually studies this will tell you is that a lot of people who voted for Trump might not necessarily like Trump. They, they think that he's a loudmouth, that he is, um, that he doesn't know what he's doing, that he is ignorant, but they will not vote for someone other than him because they essentially spend their days staring into their computers and their phones watching and reading all these conspiracy theories about how if they don't vote for Trump, you know, someone's literally going to come to their house and either put them in, in a education camp or kill them and, again, do unspeakable things to their children. Like, mm -hmm. this, is, this, is not how, this is not how a normal society operates. This is, this is what happens in the so-called shithole countries. Well, let's let's look at it from uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So from this perspective, and we typically see it on Facebook or Twitter, somebody posts something that could be uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy, right? And we, and then they get judged like you're crazy, you're an idiot, you know, you're an asshole. Like all of these things are the things that that are are put out there, right? So how would we go about it differently? Just sort of man to man, Greg. I mean, is there anything we can truly do when it's a total stranger online and? And they're going to think we're facetious when we say, hey, Greg, are you okay? You know, it's very difficult to deal with people who are in this very dark space. Um, one of the things that we can always do is we can try and empathize with people. And I know that it's very difficult to do nowadays, especially if you're subjected to a torrent of abuse on social media, because that's just our lives now. But... There's definitely a valid point for people who say, well, the system doesn't work for me. I can't work for the stat. I can't vote for the status quo. I can't go back to the status quo because the status quo doesn't work. And, you know, how many times have I been on the show saying the status quo doesn't work? Because, I mean, look at COVID, look at climate change, look at all these things that are happening. So it's entirely understandable why people would be very dissatisfied with how things are going. And there's a unique thing specifically in, in how the United States works with the Electoral College and with gerrymandering, where a lot of people's votes don't count as much as others just because they're within this arbitrary line. So there's a very large segment of the population whose votes are simply not do not translate into representation. So they feel very powerless. And when people are powerless and when people are angry and when people are desperate and they have legitimate problems that need to be addressed, it is very easy for them and very soothing for them to go into conspiracy land and, and choose us versus them narratives. It's, it's, it's been done forever. It's, it's a soothing technique that, that's been around since the dawn of time. Uh, well, I should say the dawn of civilization. And one of the biggest problems that we get is that social media makes it very easy to monetize on these, to monetize these people. Because again, you know, we're, we're talking about people who spend their days online pumping poison into their brains and just hyperventilating about the latest conspiracy theory for that's that's being put out by grifters who are constantly hitting them up for money. You know, listen to my podcast and donate to my, to my Patreon and, and buy my book and donate to this uh, politician who I'm friends with. So they're being constantly hit up for money. And, and in fact, the current 
scandal that, that the right in America is trying to engineer, saying that the election is fraudulent and it's stolen and, and all of these votes are illegal. It's a scam. They're trying to raise more and more and more money for the Trump campaign to pay off its debts because it's very well known that the Trump campaign is in trouble because of all the graft and all of the embezzling that happened within it. These are all well-known things. And you want to just, your, your first response is you want to grab the people who really just believe all these, these, these hysterical conspiratorial things that, again, resemble the symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia and shake them and say, oh my God, get a grip. What is wrong with you? Why are you doing this to yourself and to your families and to your country? But so, you have to. But you have to empath. You have to understand where they're coming from first, so you can have that conversation and say, "I understand why you are upset." Now let's talk about what will actually help you. Well, we have a culture that I always call a drive-by political debate. People don't like to have a political debate. They like to have a drive-by political debate, kind of like that we get coffee and we drive by political conversation by going by and saying, "My guy's better than your guy. Your guy's an idiot." You're crazy for thinking that. That's all we do. We don't really actually have conversation. So what's the solution, Greg Fish? I absolutely agree with that. We need to have deeper, more substantive debates. Um, I think that we have a lot of media personalities who have failed that. We have personalities who drive... Who, who thrive on chaos, who drive division, who drive these conspiracy theories because it gets them bigger ratings. And, you know, uh, one very egregious example in the United States was Chuck Todd on, on Meet the Press on Sunday saying, well, you know, we finished this election, but remember, there's less than 1,500 days before the next one, before 2024. And, you know, look at what the country is going through. Look at what's, look at what's happening to people. Look at, look at the crises that we're trying to solve. I mean, what kind of garbage human being says that as part of their job? I mean, that, that's, that's just horrible. And he's not an exception. He's a norm in this particular world. You need people in the media who want to do better and who understand that you can't just placate people and give them what, what they want. You have to actually have conversations that people might not necessarily be comfortable with and, and really get to the root of the different issues that are plaguing them. Unless you do that, they're going to retreat to that conspiracy world. Everything is simple, and they could just point to a bad guy and say, they're out to get me, and, and live in the soothing cocoon of fear where the enemy has a face and a name. So the reason, if you listen to people, there was actually a lady who was uh, out protesting that was widely understood as being a conspiracy theory. And then when she was asked by the reporter, well, that was, it was actually over um, ballot burning. And ballot burning was a video that went viral, but it, those were, um, those were um, sample ballots and those, and that's been proven. And, um, but that being said, there's a broken part of the system clearly um, that allows for that to be videotaped plus make it to be viral. So that's a whole other conversation. There is a problem there, but those were sample ballots and that's been uh, debunked. But when they asked her, they said, well, why do you believe this stuff? She says, well, people need to stop getting out of their Facebook bubble and start doing some real research. She used that exact same argument, Greg, into the conversation about the other side. So how do we know that you and I aren't brainwashed, that you and I haven't fallen into... Um, because we seem more reasonable. I mean, I think that if we're going to look at this from the perspective of what have we been told, we have to truly look at it from 
the um, perspective of what have you been told? And there was an example that came in from a texter that is just absurd when it comes to conspiracy theorists. But it's a good example, and it's simple. It's unrelated to politics. It says, don't forget that when you got that COVID test, they jammed the swab up your nose, or was that to plant a microchip so they could track you? Now, we have to talk about from the perspective of, we can say, hey, man, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Or we can talk about what happened. I went to a clinic. They stuck a thing up my nose. I was told it was for a COVID test. Then it clearly seemed to be because I was given a test result, right? But do they know, do we know that they didn't stick a microchip up our nose? Well, technically, we don't know. So I, I love this question. I really do. Um, I think your illustration of the limits of our no of an individual's knowledge uh, are, are a great starting point, but I want to walk back a, a little bit to the circular logic that was used by the supporter who you're talking about. I, I, I remember yep. I actually just saw the video shortly before uh, before this segment, just to just to refresh my memory on it. The circular logic that she used was just so perfect that you are in this echo chamber and you have to do your own research. But also, I am, I have my own echo chamber that gives me the truth. And so I know I did my research because I agree with the things that I saw. So the yeah. circular self-serving cognitive dissonance logic is a very, very powerful tool that the mind creates for itself to not face facts that are uncomfortable people so look for agreement you... it's a functional piece of our lives our brains look for places that we think are safe exactly so how do we break from that how are we how can we see more reasonable well the question that you need to ask someone who does that who on who, who talks like that is what would convince you otherwise is there something that will convince you otherwise and then if you can provide that if you can provide that very evidence Will that person actually change their mind? So this is the difference between someone who brain who's brainwashed, or rather, in in today's world, people brainwash themselves. You know, they kind of mm -hmm. save you the trouble. Yeah. Um, so, are you self brainwashed, or will you actually look at different evidence? And if so, what is that evidence? Is that ev does that evidence actually exist, and is it possible? Because you have Trump supporters who say nothing will ever change my mind about Donald Trump. Well, th that's the end of discussion. There, if nothing will change your mind, then that's it. That's that's kind of a lost cause. Um, and then when we talk about things like you know, there's a COVID test with microchips and things and something of that nature. The question is, what is the value of you being tracked with a microchip up your nose if you carry around a device that can track you all day, every day, your, your smartphone? There's so much more data and information that can be gleaned from the smartphone that you carry and use every day, many hours a day, that the microchip is just completely unnecessary. You already carry the tracking device. If you have Alexa, if you have... Uh, if you have Google's assistant, if you have uh, any sort of smart technology that you oh, talk to in your home, a Facebook account. <laughs> yeah, it's a wire. It, it you basically wiretapped your own home. There's so much more information to collect than from a microchip, and it's already being actively collected, and it's being monetized by countless corporations. You know, we're this is, you know, this is the whole. This is the whole um, Occam's razor conversation. I I, I may have mispronounced that, uh, but the idea is the. The explanation that requires the fewer assumptions and the fewer logical leaps is probably the correct one. So when you're presented with these conspiracy theories, a good question to ask is, well, who benefits? 
So when we apply that back to the real world and we talk about, oh, you know, there's all this voter fraud everywhere and, 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 and all of these satanic pedophiles organize this voter fraud so they can eat children, ask yourself this, why go through all this trouble? Why go through, you know, what what is the actual mechanism that they're trying to get this by? And why is it that all of these scary things only seem to exist in one very specific echo chamber that keeps asking you for money again and again and again and again. Like, There's what do they have to gain from this? They have to gain from this by keeping you scared. So you give them money so they can scare you again so you can give them more money. That's their game. That's it. Follow the money. That's exactly well, what it so, is. So incredibly true uh, to follow the money. Uh, Worldofweirdthings.com. Greg, I appreciate the uh, very large conversation that it is. And humans are always looking to feel like we're safe. And there, there's there, in my words teaching, I'll share this. There, there's a little phrase that catches us. And if your conversation isn't working... This is what you do. If you're in any conversation, whether it's with your partner or about politics or whatever, and this is in your thinking or vocally out of your mouth. If you say the words, I know, that's your roadblock. Because when someone says, oh, this happened and that happened, you're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. What we do is we go into that moment and we change I know into I understand. And that opens up an entirely different conversation with anybody about any topic. Because I know is righteous and I'm smarter than you. That's how it's heard. And I understand. They might say, no, you don't understand. And then you just say, well, then help me understand. And so it creates a completely different uh, place of conversation. Now, this is one of the teachings that I do when I do key, uh, keynote speeches. But the, the, the thing is, is that when you can step into that, and when you hear yourself say, or anybody say, I know, even if that's the evidence that they give, Greg, like to your example, where they're like, well, why, why do you, why does this happen? Because I know it happened. Okay. Then help me understand. Tell me why, you know, who told you that? Because the last time I checked, I still call it a road because somebody told me it was called a road and that's, that's it. Someone told me it was called a road. They told me that when I was really young. And I've, for my rest of my life, I've carried that forward and I've called it a road. I've perpetuated the notion that that thing that we drive on is called a road. This is, I love this conversation, Greg Fish. Thank you so much, brother. Always a pleasure. And one thing that I, I, I kind of think should be added is that you are never going to be at a disadvantage knowing what another person thinks. Even if you disagree with everything that they say, and all of their reasoning for it, just knowing how another person thinks and why, is going to be beneficial to either challenge your beliefs or understand why people are not agreeing with you. You will never be at a disadvantage for knowing what somebody else thinks. That's a big statement. Thank you, Greg. Like I said, always a pleasure. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Inside the integrity of all the things that we talk about here on the show, about taking care of yourself. I mean, it is Movember. Men's mental health and fitness is a big part of that. Um, I haven't been taking care of myself. I've got all kinds of fantastic reasons, too. I had shoulder surgery. I had ulnar nerve decom uh, submuscular transposition surgery on my elbow. They literally moved my funny bone from the bottom of my elbow to the top. They being the doctors. So 
those are great excuses, right? Well, there's somebody that I want to acknowledge here. And uh, I promised when I took on being on this show that I would introduce you to some amazing people in my life. And so there is sort of a, a double-ended thing going on here with this next guest. I ask you to listen. This is going to be a conversation about uh, women after 50. And for the ladies who listen, perfect. Uh, for the men who listen, you can apply every one of these pieces to uh, the Man Conversation Plus. It's a great way to understand the women in your life. So it's valuable for everybody. Now, uh, there's a person that I met. Oh, man, it's got to be seven or eight years ago. And um, she changed my life. Her name is Jackie. And I met her as part of a radio sponsorship thing. And Jackie oversaw for three full years my fitness. And uh, it was a complete transformation in my body, which I still believe led to a huge transformation in my mind and in my heart. And that's where it all started. And I get to introduce you now to Jackie Cooney. Hey, Jack. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for coming on the program. Of course, I am honored. Thank you very much for having me. So Jackie is, um, well, Jackie's a fitness trainer. I guess that's the easiest way to say it. Your belief is a little bit different in that um, you believe in doing it the right way. And I, that sounds incredibly simplistic, but in today's world of what I call fitness porn, which is uh, people in tight pants on Instagram uh, using camera angles of their ass doing squats or something. I mean, sure, they might be fit. Good for you. Um, but doing, uh, being fit as a life and a lifestyle is, uh, is incredibly important that we take it somewhat seriously, but still have a good time with it, huh? Um, when you were talking about the integrity of movement mm -hmm. in your opening, I was reading about trends. And one of the trends was the base of movement and building movement with integrity. And I thought, when did that become a trend? Just a thought that I had when you, well, when you said it's that. It's totally true, right? Because that's kind of been the, the fundamental of all the things for your entire career. Well, and it's funny because like functional training was um, kind of got brought in with CrossFit and, you know, any kind of training is functional. Right. So um, I, I understand the terms that, that they use it, but if you're moving, you're being functional. Right. Well, for sure. it words are it words and they sell. Yay That's for capitalism. <laughs> True that. So you, yeah. um, I don't, geez, I don't even know where to start. Um, there's so much we can talk about here, but I really wanted to bring for the audience, the conversation about, um, fit after 50. Can I, can I yes. share uh, your history a little bit? Um, Jackie and her husband are both very, very active. Uh, Jason is, um, is, uh, active as well. And Jackie is active, incredibly both, um, um, competitive that way. Jackie was a young, young mom and a young grandma. And so Jackie's life has been, uh, sort of filled with vigor and vitality sort of by the way it happened. Like you just had to go, go, go because of the way it happened, being a young mom and a young grandma and, and, and all these things. So can we start with this place? Share with everybody how old you are now and why fitness matters to you now more than ever. Please, pretty please. <laughs> um, I am 52 and fitness is a lifestyle. It, it gives me confidence. It gives me the ability to 
take on any challenge. I, it, it's this freedom that I have and I, uh, it's liberating to me. Um, and I know a lot of people, we talk about fitness and aesthetics and that is not what I strive for with my fitness. And I, I was reading something about, um, it was a quote, and that age is not a pathology, it's an opportunity. And I just loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a stigma with with getting older. And yes, I was a young mom, and I'm a young grandma, um, for sure. But I remember when I was in my 30s, that I thought 50 was old. Yeah. And I think, I just started my like really, really embracing fitness in my thirties and even becoming an athlete when I was 36, which, you know, fitness empowered me and gave me the confidence to be able to think that I could do that, to set such lofty goals. Um, And that's why now, I look back and I think I just started, I was just an infant at 36 with these hopes and dreams. And now that I'm 52, I feel like I'm 36 Mm -hmm. and I still have those lofty dreams and those lofty goals. Fitness is a lifestyle for sure. You, you've done, I want the history of some of your sports stuff. Um, just to elaborate yes. briefly on each one. So, I mean, you kind of got into fitness. I, one of the first big ones you really took on was the bobsled. That was like, I, I, you know, it's funny. Cause I was, I started running marathons. Like I've been in the fitness industry and, uh, I started running, um, and probably shouldn't have been running, um, as much as I was when I finished, I had my kids and my body wasn't ready. And that's, I, I was running before, like in between my kids, but I was running marathons and probably overdoing it. Um, and sometimes I was, uh, it was heavy. And sometimes I think like running, then the running room has brought running, um, as a, this, um, craze, um, which I love because it's got so many people involved, yeah, but community is really strong. Right. But the running is when you're overweight, it is very hard on your body. And, you know, I walking is amazing for you but people always want to go more and and do more and push harder but uh, you know I I was running marathons I was getting injured and that led me to educate myself more and more and more which led me down this amazing path of 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 fitness but I loved I embraced strength training and I had some awesome opportunities in my career to create programs but when I was creating those programs, I was just like getting all the information. I was living, breathing, strength training. And as I was doing that, um, I somebody that I worked with said, Hey, Jackie, would you have you ever thought about, you know, trying out for bobsleigh? And I was like, like, really? Who I don't even know anything about that sport. But you know, I was always uh, a fast runner, um, even though I was it was marathons were contradictory to anything fast twitch. Um, and so, but they saw, you know, my strength and I'd be sprinting. And, um, so I, I, yeah, tried out for 
um, the Alberta bobsleigh team. And I had to uh, go in front of the national team. I was scared to death, push this bobsleigh. And um, that was like huge in my life. And I had a coach that was amazing. And I remember I was the only athlete that he ever put through the ringer so hard. He, he said to me, and his name was Adam Wood, and um, he's passed away, um, uh, an amazing human. And he, he made me write an essay about why I wanted to be a bobsled athlete because I was a mother of three and I was like that's was so unfair but he goes Jackie this is so dangerous I don't know why you'd want to do it um but I actually got paid to do it I got 110 dollars because I came we are my team came in third place um and I got to travel to amazing places so at 36 so that was amazing but and also along the way I to get strong I was a power lifter and I was lucky enough to get a world title and a national title and that was amazing for a woman it was bench press squat and a deadlift so it's a combination so, yeah, so I, I got to do that. And, um, you know, it led me down into doing, I, to, you know, led me my career um, as it evolved, as I evolved. Um, and unfortunately, I, I took, I got an injury. I broke my leg, I tore my ACL. And that made me more administrative, which I got into the more management side of the fitness industry, where obviously we met. And, um, um, but yeah, so, you know, everything kind of, if you push your body too, too hard, it, it lets you know, right? Yeah. And so anyways. It matters where, um, where you go with that. For I, How tall are you, Jackie? I'm 5'2". Okay. So I want everybody to know that Jackie's <laughs> just a sprite of a human uh, in all of these things too. Yes. Well, no, because it's realistic, right? You're 52 years old. You have three kids. You're five foot two, And I just mm-hmm. want the, the example to be there that there's opportunities still to be had here. So uh, here yes. you are. I know that you had shared with me when you turned 50, you went through all the things that everybody goes through when they turn 50. And, um, and that was a real crossroads for you. Now, here you are on the other side of that two years later with a whole new inspiration in front of you. And that's the part we want to talk about. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because like we're living longer and we're living healthier. So we have to take that into consideration that, you know, we have to take care of our bodies and that fitness, um, you kind of have to spread it over a long time now. So you, you have to really listen to your body and take care of it. So while, while I love all the adventurous things that I do and, um, you know, two years ago or three years ago now, I just took on um, doing triathlons, which I absolutely love, which led me to cycling, which um, for the first time I got to go on the the velodrome and, you know, this is at end of my forties into my fifties. Um, so you, I, I feel like my mindset is huge and it always has been. Um, and you, that saying that you're only as young as you feel, I agree. And I, I disagree because, um, you know, some days I wake up and I probably feel like everybody else. I probably feel like 70. I don't know. But um, I feel that it, because we're living longer, it's a mindset and don't surrender to what you thought 50 was going to be when you were 30, well, if that makes sense. And I know for all the young people that are listening, they they will they will eventually hit 50 and they'll go, man, 
like I listened to this lady on this this podcast and she was so right. And I speak, I talked to my mom and I go, Hey mom, you know, my mom's still active. She does her, her thing is gardening. She never believed in any sports. Um, well, it, you know, my mom's more academic. So um, always was like pushing me that way was not pushing me towards um, sports, but I, that's where I always gravitated to. Um, but I asked her, I go, how, how old do you feel? And she's like, I feel like I'm 50 or 60 and she's in her eighties. Right. So I think women and men probably are always looking back or they're feeling like they're, they feel internally like the best part of their life, I guess, maybe. Well, we had that question last week on the show. We asked, um, if you didn't know how old you are, how, old you are. how, would, yes. how old would you feel? And it was, uh, it was pretty remarkable that um, so many people were a drastically different age and people went through both sides of it. And I think that was the most authentic part of the answer. So fitness after 50, Jackie, um, yeah. there's an awful lot of people right now, especially after the last six months. So mm -hmm. I'm up right now, probably 20 pounds. Yep. And I yo-yo, I can yo, my body can yo-yo 30 pounds pretty easily. And that's a lot of weight, man. That's a third of some humans, adult yeah. humans. Um, mm -hmm. A third of most children. <laughs> yeah. That's like kicking one kid to the curb. Um, <laughs> so the, um, you, what, what do we do? What do we look for? What are the key things and the basic things that we can start to apply today for fitness after 50? Well, I can tell you like men or women, you know, things that women can expect, unfortunately, are is, is weight gain, mood swings, um, lack of sleep, um, muscle loss. There's all those things that happen as you get older. So this is why when people ask me that about weight loss, I'm like, be active and do the things you love and the weight loss will come. And also it's about your eating. You know that like you, you can, if you're not watching what you eat, um, then you're going to run into trouble. Um, no matter how active you are as you get older, unfortunately, that's the, the scale kind of tips. So you really have to do your due diligence, watch what you're eating. Activity is different for everybody. I, I am not um, somebody that now embraces um, hit, but a lot of my friends do. Mm -hmm. I am more of a, I do lots of strength training um, and I will do intervals, but at a, at, I would say moderate and people that know me would probably think for my fifth in my 50, I'm, I'm, I'm strong gal. I can do some things. Um, but I don't, I, oh, I always listen to my body and I make sure that my movements are, they have integrity, that I'm doing them correctly. Um, and I love to go for a walk and I like to ride a bike. And I still last summer pulled out my rollerblades. And um, so I, I just say move just instead of your Movember women, we're doing a move member. Oh, very good. Now you and uh, mm -hmm. you and um, some friends have gone and put together uh, some just some fun things to do on the side, and um, it really is just a fun thing to do. And yeah. a challenge like that between friends, especially at times when we're supposed to be um, keeping our distance and and sticking to our bubbles. Um, can you tell us about um, what you and Tammy are up to, and and what it's, you guys are doing? It, you know, it's just a fun thing that 
um, my girlfriend was, was, she was like in her rut of, of, you know, COVID and she had some, uh, a death in her family and she, there was a lot of stress. And uh, somebody said to her, Oh, Tammy, I have this guy. He's like, I pay him $1,500. It was like for, for three months or something like that. And every day he motivates me and he calls me, it could have been even for a month. And Tammy goes, are you kidding, Jackie? Can you imagine paying somebody $1,500 just to talk to you? And I was like, well, I'll tell you what, I will talk to you every morning and I'll put together a little challenge. Um, you know, we're not drinking for November. Um, we are meditating more with our mindfulness. We're self-talk. We're, you know, I have a little challenge on self-talk um, and just to move. So Tammy and I have our our... I watch. Um, so we have, we use, and I use my fitness pal, but we track our activities and our activity and our movement and our steps and how much we stand. Um, and it tallies it up every week. Um, but it's more just, it's not competitive against each other. It's just to move. And it's funny because I had two young people do the exercise and send them to me. And I thought that is awesome because obviously it, you know, they, they see us, we're older, but they still embraced the movements and the activities. So um, it's just, I just wanted to support my girlfriend, which is, I encourage everybody to do. And it, you don't have to be a trainer to do that. You can always just challenge each other to go for a walk, exercise, eat properly. It's easy. Well, on answer the phone, I guess um, one of the, the things that I hear with that is that check-in, right? Like I'll do that for you for free. Like you have people in your life that'll do that for you yes. for free and coming forward and asking that question, Hey, I'm having a hell of a time getting moving. Can we just exchange texts? Can we commit to exchanging texts every morning? Yeah. I've done that with my buddy, Chad, where we, um, we even set it out for, it was a bit of an existential thing, but we, we were digging into what's the very first thought when you woke up in the morning and we mm -hmm. documented that no matter what it was, no judgment, nothing. Even yeah. if it was, Oh crap, I got a text Chad. Like it didn't matter. What was the very first self-aware thought that you had in the morning? And we did that for two full weeks every morning just to be aware of it. I mean, so play with it a little bit, I think. And that's, that's super fun. And you know, like the things that came up, all they did was cement our friendship, right? It was like, I realized the very first thought I had in the morning was the dream about someone in my life from 15 years ago. Like, it's amazing what it uh, starts to create. Now, Jackie Cooney, you um, also took on golf later in life than most oh, people. Yes. You, um, that's Jackie and I, I love to golf with Jackie um, and Jason. And um, it <laughs> it's an experience, let me tell you. But you've had some success at that. Uh, just golfing for fun, women's league stuff, having a yes. good time. So for yes. you, that's an example of one of the things you picked up later in life, even though yeah. your husband begged you forever and your kids. Yes, um, he absolutely did. But the, um, so how was that for you? Um, I am completely obsessed with a game that I thought was nonsense for the majority of my life. So sorry, all the golfers that are out there. Um, and, you know, I just, I thought 
there were so many other sports that were like, I'm such an adrenaline junkie. So I was like, Oh, like chasing a ball around like this is ridiculous. Or what a way to ruin a great walk is the being irritated by trying to you know hit this ball. But now I've embraced the mental part of it, the social aspect of it. Um, and obviously the sport, it um, has uh, some days it, it kicks me in the rear end, but I, I come up, I, sh- I show up every every game to play um, and to be social. And what I love about it, it's, it's about yourself. Like it's about, it's, you can play with your girlfriends, but you're always trying to beat the game, not the people that you're playing with. And I appreciate that because it's about self-development. It's taught me a lot of life lessons. Let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Patience. Patience. Oh, I know that one from golfing with Jackie. I can, I can attest to that one. (laughs) Um, so what I hear in all of this really is, um, it's simple, but it ain't easy. Mm-hmm. Just be aware and lean into the people that are around you. Absolutely. And, and have some self-love and, you know, every time you look in the mirror, like I don't, it's, it's hard for women because, you know, I don't think people have evolved until actually, uh, J-Lo and uh, Shakira did the halftime show and Twitter blew up going, oh man, I can't wait to get in my 50s. And you know what? It, it is great being in your 50s because you're, you're established, you're, um, you have a better mindset, um, you have some stories to tell and you realize that there's so much to learn and that you really know nothing. Um, and, and I think that enlightenment, let that enlightenment um, leads you down this path of, of freedom and, um, the willingness to try and express yourself, uh, I guess. So, yeah. And, and, and be, be accountable not everything has to be a competition. Um, but it, it's good to have somebody that's, that's, that's keeping accountable, that keeping you accountable and to have fun with for sure. Thank you. You're welcome. I really appreciate you spending some time and staying up late for us, you early morning gym <laughs> rat. <laughs> yes. I appreciate it. Um, thank you for letting me be on the show. And um, yeah, and you stay well during these COVID times. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with open windows during the winter? Um, Maybe <clears throat> if you're having a smoke or something. All right. Jason? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I, I get cold as it is. Uh, right now I'm wearing a, t- a, t- a toque <laughs> and I'm wearing a jacket right now and it's, and the windows aren't even open. Like I'm still cold. So I get cold easily. Windows open is n- uh, no go for me. All right. I'm all for it. Open up the windows, especially when we're climbing into bed, man. Give me extra blankets, heavy ones, wrap me up, open the windows, make it minus 10, minus 15 in the bedroom. All for it. All for it. Matt's all in for the smoke. Uh, plans for Montreal schools to open their windows for ventilation purposes cause some concern. Let's hear the clip. It's one of the biggest complaints that teachers have. Quebec school boards and service centers are making sure classrooms are ventilated in order to limit the spread of COVID-19. But that's a challenge for the English Montreal School Board. Many of their schools are old and don't have mechanical ventilation systems. As a result, the board says it will be leaving classroom windows open, a situation that is less than ideal given that winter is coming. 
We're going to open the windows when the students are not in class, when it gets too cold, but we do want to ventilate throughout the day when the students are out. She says she hopes there will soon be funds from the ministry to upgrade the schools, but nothing has been determined yet. A teacher's union is concerned after listening to the premier last week. He said the worst thing that you can do is be inside with a bunch of people for more than 15 minutes. That's what our teachers are doing every single day. The issue of school ventilation is not new. Older schools have been forced to open windows in order to circulate the air for years. The whole industry, the education industry, is like a dinosaur industry. It's really time for innovation. However, Lester B. Pearson says it is prepared. It has ordered filters for schools with mechanical ventilation. And for those without, it says it plans to purchase 420 HEPA air purifiers. So we've had different parents and teachers say, well, I'll just pick one up at Canadian Tire, but those aren't designed to do a full classroom with uh, 20, 25 students in it. The education minister declined our request for an interview, but in a statement, he said the school network is responsible for ensuring ventilation is adequate. If not, he says school service centres and boards have the necessary means to replace them. Raquel Fletcher, Global News, Quebec City. All right, see, there you go. Uh, Nate says, Shane, you're talking my language. Okay with open windows, need that blast of fresh air in bed. Uh, D. Wayne says no open windows during the, during the winter. Right. Nate also says, I love it when Shane accuses someone of being drunk and it wasn't me this time. (laughs) 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 All right. Your calls, your contributions, always welcome. 877-399-9898. Are you okay? Are you okay with fate? That's a loaded question. Uh, I guess you can't really fight what's going to happen, even if you don't know it's going to happen. Is it meant to happen? Hmm. That would be the question. Yeah, that's one for uh, the philosophers out there. All the philosophers out there? Are you okay with fate, Jason? Yeah, I am okay with fate. I think, um, uh, you know, I think humans in general have so much they can control on their own. I think there is, you know, I'm I'm a man of faith, so I I do think, you know, there's a higher power that is determines uh, where you end up. So mm-hmm. that's just me. All right, I I'm I'm okay with uh, I'm okay with fate. I'll take it. Um, let's hear this clip. Take a look at this. Crews able to get the heart out of that helicopter. It was then handed over to one of the hospital's medical personnel. Now, as that person leaves the helipad, he suddenly accidentally trips on a metal plate, falls to the ground, dropping the heart. Others were quickly able to pick up that organ and rush it inside for the operation. The person who dropped it was apparently not hurt. This crash is being investigated at this hour by the FAA and the NTSB. Okay, Whoa. so the reason why that's fate is there's a helicopter flying to a hospital to deliver a heart that's been taken out of somebody who passed donation. It's a heart donation. And it's being flown to the recipient so they can put the heart in. The heart gets to the helicopter, or excuse me, the heart gets to the helicopter, the helicopter gets in the air. The helicopter flies to the hospital, goes to land on the roof, and crashes. So now the donated heart is in a crashed helicopter on the helipad 
on the hospital. But these people are working hard. They're not giving up. So they go into the crashed helicopter. They retrieve the donated heart. They take it out of the crashed helicopter and hurry it inside. And as they're hurrying it inside, the poor guy who's carrying it trips on that metal plate, drops the heart on the floor, and trips and falls. Whoa. Whoa. Now, the good news is, is that there was some injuries, but nobody died in the helicopter crash. And it turns out, I, there's a, like a five-second rule on organ donations. Didn't know that. They picked it up quick enough. And uh, they managed to get it inside and into the um, recipient. And everybody's okay. Isn't that like the most amazing, unbelievable fate story? So is that a meant-to-be story? Because everybody worked so hard to make it happen? Or is that fate the other end saying, no, no, nay, nay, this heart's not for you? Which yeah, way does it go? You can make a movie out of that. You can make a movie out of that. story. Hey, that's an amazing there, story. There's, I can't believe they a, um, There's a Filipino drama story, a movie um, <laughs> that I watched a long time ago where um, a girl's boyfriend dies, loses his heart, gives it to the new boyfriend, and then the girl falls in love with this new guy who has her ex-boyfriend's heart. Yeah. Aw, that's a good love story. I like that. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.